Actually, I think we should pray. We rejoice in that reality, God. Why should we gain from his reward, from his payment? Why should we gain? I don't have an answer. Actually, none of us do. But this we know, your wounds have paid our ransom. So, Lord, we celebrate your goodness to us. We don't deserve it. Amazing as it is, as we just prayed for our kids a minute ago, you are for us. I, I, over the last couple of years, Lord, some of us went through the daily Bible. We've been through the Old Testament. We watch the journeys of your people. We see the stubbornness. And we go, how could they be like that? And, of course, the problem is we haven't looked in the mirror lately. So, God, we just admit it's amazing that even with the children of Israel, you stuck to your covenant and you did not cast them off. And you are for us and not against us. How much more after the shedding of the blood of Christ is that true? Lord, I know that um, in the world in which we live, which seems to be getting in so many ways darker, uh, your saints need that uplift and knowledge experientially of the fact that you are for us and not against us. Build up your saints. Help us at Harmony. Thank you for the work of your spirit stirring among us in any way and every way. We're grateful, and we ask in Jesus' name that you would continue that among us. Build up your saints in their most holy faith, we pray. In the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen. 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 Well, once in a while, I, um, I do have other people preach, and uh, once in a while, Mike has other people lead worship, so I guess we're even. And uh, thank you, Michael, and thank you, Ben, and the team this morning for good worship, right? Great songs. All kind... The power's on me. Praise the Lord. All pointing toward his redemption on our behalf. Amen. And uh, you've already figured out there's a table up front because we're going to celebrate the Lord's table. And you've probably, you're probably smart enough to look at the bullet and know my title says, Come and Dine. So if you were planning to just eat this for lunch, you might be a little bit hungry later in the afternoon. It's not a big meal, but it is the meal that the Lord invites us to, right? His, his table. Just before I get rolling in this, I want to uh, just ponder for a second. Um, the book of Hebrews, where we are. Uh, one thing I love about preaching through a whole book, and it's been kind of fun to see, as we've moved progressively through chapter 1, now chapter 2, it actually fits where we're going together. And the, the church year, and today actually has a text that fits perfectly for the Lord's table. So if you have your Bible... Turn in it to Hebrews, the second chapter. Now, I hear a little reverb. Is it problematic or are you all okay out there? I sound like I'm in an arena somewhere. So, just want to make sure we're good. Chapter 2 of the book of Hebrews. If you don't have your own Bible and you want to make sure I'm not making any of this up, take one of the black copies out of the chair in front of you. And uh, somebody who's using it would have to tell me what page. I forgot now. 
1197. Excellent. Thank you, Blanche. Chapter 2, verse 14. Since then, the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. All of God's people said. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God and to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Amen to that. He is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Anybody here ever tempted? Oh, at least you're being honest today. That's good. Yes, we know it, right? Now, some of the problem in our culture is knowing what sin is, so we don't even know that we're being tempted. We're just all in, you know what I mean? Oops, you mean God has an opinion about this? Yeah, as a matter of fact, he does. And that's why we want to learn his word, because it helps us understand that. So one of the things I was mentioning earlier is trading off jobs. Once in a while, I have other people preach. We've had great sermons in the past from Pastor Tim, Pastor Derek, uh, Corey McGrail, uh, our intern, Mr. Clower. It's been who welcome back, by the way. I see that hand down there. I see that hand. I'll wait on you. And um, we've had we've had uh, opportunity to listen to other brothers share. I just read in one of the Rainer publications, you know, the Rainer letter that we get, the newsletter. Um, that uh, hogging the pulpit is actually a sign of unhealth in a church. So I want to be as healthy as possible. So I'm done preaching today. You're on, brother. Get up. Just kidding. So Tim Strait, Pastor Tim, he'll be getting back later today from uh, taking the seniors from school down to Alabama. Yeah. So we'll pray for his safety coming home. But when he preaches, he doesn't use the pulpit. Did you notice that? I am not going to be outdone. (laughs) Today I've got my old NASV that's falling apart in my hand. I'm going to try it. I'm probably going to fumble and I'll never try it again. But I'm going to try it just for the fun of it. I've tried to make today's message concise and to the point because we have an annual meeting after. Uh, everyone is invited to stay, by the way. You're welcome to lean in and listen in. But we want to make time to do that and still be, you know, on our way at a reasonable hour. So you really do get a meal later if you need one. Years ago, it was 73, 4, 5. My wife and I flew to Japan on a mission trip when we were in seminary. It was a big first for us on a number of fronts. Uh, it was the first time she went overseas. Um, that's a great way, you know, get married, go to seminary, you know, get through that stress and then fly to Japan. And uh, back then, it was quite the challenge, quite the experience. It was a lot of fun for me. And um, you can read between the lines on that one. <laughs> Flying, first time in the Far East, 
several other firsts. I think I told you one time that Uncle Jim and Aunt Dot were the missionaries we especially connected with who ran a camp called Kinshuko Bible Camp, Evergreen Lake. That's the name in English, uh, way up north on the island of Honshu. I had a big first there. I learned to water ski in Japan. Isn't that a riot? But I also learned some songs. And today, while we were singing about being a child of God and all of that, I thought that was awesome, wasn't it? That's a great message, which this message is talking about, being a child of God and how that matters to us because of how God treats us and feels toward us. So years ago when we were there, they had at camp, every time they came into a meal, a song, right? Anybody ever had songs like that? I don't know if anybody's ever heard this one. The Japanese believers had a song that went like this. I'm not going to quit my day job, okay? You might want to edit this out so, you know, people stop tuning in on the podcast and go, oh, I can't take it. But the Japanese song went, Itsumo, Itsumo. We taught this to our kids. Itsumo, Itsumo, Oishimono, Kudasaru Kamisama. That's the name for God. Arigato, Amen. (laughs) Always and every day, delicious food comes our way. Thank you, God. That's what it says. Kamisama. Arigatos. Thank you. But the song I remember that I've been singing all week with the title that I picked is Come and Dine, the Master Calleth. Come and Dine. Anybody recognize it? You can feast at Jesus' table anytime. If you know it, sing it. He that... Fed the multitude, turned the water into wine. You're not singing loud. (laughs) To the hungry calleth now, come and dine. And all of God's people said, right? Don't, don't, don't applaud. No, I've already got enough struggles. I don't need. Isn't that a good song, though? Come and dine. Listen to it. The master calleth, come and dine. You can feast at Jesus' table anytime. It's not talking about a communion service, which you have to wait till once a month, depending on what church you go to. Who was asking us about that? Oh, I'm not going to (laughs) say. You mean you don't do it on the first of the month? Yeah, I, I, I missed that verse. I don't know where that is. But anyway, yeah. No, we don't. But we might. It's not talking about that. It's talking about the provision of grace that God makes available to all his saints. All his children can come and dine at Jesus' table anytime if they'll avail themselves of what is there. Everybody with me? One of of my favorite phrases about God in the scripture is that he is the living God. The living God, not a dead God, not a recording. He's the living God, which means there's grace and activity available in the here and now. Amen. Is this a good question? Usually your questions are great. It better be good. I'm, I'm not following the question, sorry. Okay. Um, what, what you just said. Yes. Basically said that we have to like, do something to Where is that? Did I say that? I honestly, I don't know. Okay, I don't either. <laughs> Maybe 
I'm not going to repeat the question because I'm not sure what it is. It's available to us, but we have to come and dine. That's the only thing I can say, right? So what do we have to do? We have to make use, this might help, all right? So we have to make use, this is where I'm going today, the means that God has given us to receive grace. They're called the means of grace. This table is one one of the means of grace, okay? That's what I'm talking about. No, thank you, thank you. It's not, the question is, it's not a literal table. Exactly. It's a picture, if you will, of meeting with Jesus. Maybe you do it in your prayer closet. Even that's confusing to people, right? This is old language. I got in my prayer closet. Really? What kind of a closet is that? You know, you know the story of the guy who's, he went to his spiritual mentor and said, can I leave the door open when I'm in there? I mean, it's awful stuffy in that little closet, you know, so. <laughs> He took it literally. That's not what God's talking about, okay? It's getting alone with Jesus, meeting with him, exercising your privileges as a child of God. He calls us to dine. I'm going to put up, we just went through Passover. Slide's not working. Keep going. I'm going to keep going, okay? Passover just went by. That's when we celebrate the crucifixion of Jesus and all that because the Last Supper was a Passover, right? It was a Passover meal, a Seder meal, and we are invited to, uh, to bring ourselves to the Passover table through what Jesus has done on our behalf, okay? So I've got three points today. You, if you're a note taker, your bulletin has three fill-ins. I'm just going to give you the answer straight up. Because every time I don't give you the answer straight up, I forgot, I forget. And so I'm just going to be upfront about it, okay? One, humiliation. Two, atonement. Three, intervention. And here's what I mean. The first thing is, when we look at this table, it's a reminder that Jesus came. Remember, he talked like this? Take, this is my body, eat right? Jesus said things like that. Flesh and blood. He came physically into the world. He was incarnated. If we talk theologically, the reason I gave you the word humility, it's actually a theological term relating to Jesus coming into the earth. I want you to ask you something. Think of your best retirement possibility. I I have mine. It's right there. I want a nice, quiet lake house on about 7,000 acres with nobody around me. You know, I got a fire pit out front, no, no neighbors for 20 miles, you know. My wife, she's in this, this with me, by the way. She's, she's, got, she's got a pontoon boat. So in the evenings, we can cruise the lake, you know, and, and eat wieners and stuff like that. And wave at the neighbors who are 5,000 feet away from us, you know, and... Think of your best possibility. You know, it's like, oh, I can't wait till, you know, we're saving for this and we're going to have that. Won't it be? Everybody's got dreams, right? Think of your best dream. Stinks. Stinks compared to where Jesus came from. Stinks. You can't, you can't fathom the humiliation of coming from glory to become humanity. Humanity is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. That's not the point. The point is there's just no comparison. Flesh and blood. Incarnation meant 
humility for Jesus. He humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, human form. I ha- Do we have screens yet? Okay. Let me just read something to you. Uh, that will not stop me, by the way. <laughs> He was in the world. This is John chapter 1. The world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Yes. He, get this, he came to his own. Those who were his own did not receive him. Does that mean the Jewish people or his family? Both. You're jumping ahead. Raise your hand and wait. Uh, Yeah, I got the, that's a great question. He came to his own. Those who were his own did not receive. Hold it right there for a second. Just leave it right there. His own did not receive him. It is the Jewish people, of course. But do you remember later on his family, his own? By the way, if you're not aware of this, depending on your church background, Jesus had brothers and sisters. His mother did not remain a virgin. Okay, just reality. The brothers and sisters were not believing in him. Hey, hey, if you're the, you think you're somebody special, Jesus, okay. Can you imagine living with those? You, you got, how many of you have brothers and sisters? You know what I'm talking about. Once in a while, it gets rough. Huh? He was not arrogant, though. That's the difference. I, that's your meditation for the week. Anyway, here we go. His brothers are saying to him, if you're this big shot you think you are, and they're picking up the signals, how can you miss it? He goes to a wedding, turns water into wine. That doesn't happen every day. You know, it's like, where did he get this stuff? If you're this guy you think you are, why don't you go up to the feast and show off? Do a few miracles. Get all the priests and all the Pharisees converted. Nah, I'm not going up right now. You guys go up. Get out of my hair. (laughs) Just go. And he goes up later. Rejected by his own family. He came to his own. His own did not receive him. He made the world. Can you imagine? Well, you can imagine it. Did he realize that he was... This was going to be a short sermon today. You know that? Boy, am I tempted to give you a humorous answer, but, you know, I mean, some, some traditions have... No, but it tells us in the scripture, the only hint we get is Jesus grew in grace and favor with God. So I believe as he grew, he started to realize by the time he's 12, he knows there's something unique going on because he says, I didn't, didn't you know I have to be in my father's house, yeah. right? So see, listen, the Bible readers out there, I can hear them muttering, saying... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did I give the right answer? I don't want to get fired. Okay. Hey, just one extra I got to throw in. Those who did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. If you've never trusted in Christ, that's for you. You can have life eternal. Did I offend somebody? Everybody's walking out on me? Bye, Don. Okay. No, I don't want to mention any names. Okay. But think about that sacrifice. Here's where I'm going with this. There was a cost for Jesus to come down, even without the cross. 
an amazing sacrifice, tremendous rejection, hurt, the maker of heaven and earth rejected by the maid. It's incredible. But let me talk. We don't, we don't experience lots of that. Some of us, maybe I know someone in the room right now that has received opposition and rejection for coming to a commitment with Christ. Sometimes that happens, okay? We don't get a lot of that, but we do get it more if we think in terms of money. Because Americans, we really, and even churches, a lot of us in churches have gotten trapped into the deception that the American dream is what it's all about. And it's not. So we understand it better maybe with money, the idea of money or cash, if you will. So let me use a verse that speaks into this. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich infinitely beyond what we can grasp, yet for your sake, what happened? He became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. If you think that last line means physically rich, you're missing the point. The point is you're going to inherit where Jesus came from. Who do you think you are to inherit that? I'm nobody, but by the grace of God, I'm a child of God. That's why. So when I think of that, and I think of Jesus' sacrifice, another song that was going through my mind, Jesus Christ, I think about your sacrifice. You became nothing. Remember that one? I haven't sung that for a long time. What do we do to kind of follow in his footsteps? For, for the sake of the mission of rescuing humanity, Jesus allowed himself to be humiliated and to become poor. Do we ever risk any of that? So we have a group of people going to Kenya. For some of us, it will be a sacrificial expense. I will take, we will take, they will take time off from work, vacation time that they're going to lose, that they could be relaxing, you know, on the lake, on the pontoon boat, maybe. They're going to give that up to serve Jesus for 10 days. Are you following what I'm saying? Okay. And I, I say, yay, team. I say, yay. Anytime people make choices like that, give up the pleasure or the money or the thing that they could have and offer it to God as a, above and beyond sacrificial giving to honor him. Why? Because they love Jesus. Crazy disciples do stuff like that. Have you ever done anything like that? I triple dog dare you to try it. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. This is something I could try to do. I'm gonna, let, me, let me just press into this because probably thinking about Kenya and then our brother in, um, uh, who, who are our missionaries, I, just, I hate when that happens, Rick and Diana Wilson. I'm talking to Rick one day on the phone and he's saying, yeah, and I've also got you in mind for a trip up into Myanmar, which is where pa pastors are being persecuted for their faith. That's not a big group trip, that one. I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. Can I have the privilege, Lord Jesus, of ministering encouragement and grace to those brothers? You know, we're not here to live the American dream. If he blesses us, that's nice. That's nice. But maybe there's people in this room 
that God has been trying to put his finger on for years because he wants you to do the ultimate sacrifice. I don't mean be martyred. That's up to him anyway. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. The last frontiers are not on Star Trek, the final frontier. The last frontiers are the few language groups that haven't gotten the gospel in their own language yet. Do you know what it will cost to do that? It's not just about money. It's about a person dedicating their life to learn Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, and the language that they need to translate the Bible into for the last people groups. You all want Jesus to come back? Anybody want Jesus to come back and solve all your problems? Then get every tribe, tongue, and nation visited with the power of the gospel in written form, and then we can expect him to be close, because Jesus said that's the way it's going to work. Everybody who has prophesied he would come before that is wrong, which is why Jesus said, stop doing that. Okay, that was a sidebar. I just lost, uh, what, 57 minutes. Do you hear what I'm saying? The, the commitment to be a Bible translator would be like what Jesus did. My life isn't mine. I'm leaving the glory of heaven, coming down, I'm giving my life to the kingdom. And the people who do it say, what sacrifice? For the joy set before him endured the cross. For the joy set before them, I want to be part of this. What a great privilege to be part of getting people into glory. Churches miss it. We just miss it so much. Okay, second one, atonement. First one was his humiliation. The second thing is the atonement. These two things happen so that the third thing can be ours, his intervention on our behalf. The atonement. He was a faithful high priest, verse 17, that we just read this morning. A faithful high priest. Here's what the Old Testament said and, and uh, taught and Hebrews later on in chapter 9 recounts what was in the Old Testament. For if the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of an heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh. You know, there was this elaborate ritual, right? You all get that. And Passover was part of that. Sacrificing a lamb, having a meal together was a reminder of God's great rescue from Egypt. There was always the shedding of blood to cover our sin. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse not just your body, not just make you ritualistically clean. Oh, you're cleaned up enough to go to church today. Not just that. He'll cleanse your conscience. Wow. I remember one of the seminars for youth years ago, one of the main bullets, what a wonderful gift this is, how to attain a clear conscience. I'll bet you more than three people in this room need that. A clear conscience. He'll cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Dead religion. Wrong thinking. He, remember, he's speaking to Jewish people who are trying to please God by doing all these rules. Just like some Christians in churches. They're trying to do all these rules. No sense of joy. No sense of, I know the Spirit's moving this. I know that's where it's coming from. 
That's the normal Christian life. That's what I should be experiencing. So there's the Passover. And here in the person of Jesus, it is completely fulfilled. He's a faithful high priest. He not only made the offering, he not only performed the sacrifice, he was the lamb that climbed up on the altar and was put to death. It doesn't get any more radically committed than that. Greater love has no one than this, than that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus has laid his life down for his friends and his kids and his saints and his inheritance and all of those words that we've been looking at in the book. But you think it's all about, well, I'm going to be careful here. It's not all about us. It's about his glory. I read the paper. I'm a square for those of you who don't know, paper is, an, is, is like this printed out thing that comes. I'm teasing. <laughs> that was, in the, that was in, the, um, in, the, in the funnies this week where a guy was explaining, this is what a newspaper is because the kids are, you know. So, sorry. You were just a handy victim right there. So, <laughs> thankfully, they love me. Anyway, so we read the paper, you know, and... Uh, the last few weeks, because it was Passover over the last month, right? Anybody know the, the community, the Hasidic community, Kiryas Joel, right? And they build a big bonfire. What do they do? A big bonfire. And every household, because this is the command preparing for Passover for all observant Jews, they take the representation of sin called leaven, any leaven, any yeast in the house, it's a picture of sin. Why? Because it, really, leaven is rotting the bread, that's what it is. Don't you love eating rotting stuff? It's just, yeah, some of it's great. What can I say? But the picture is negative, and so they take that as a symbol of taking all the sin out of your household. They go out to the bonfire, and they throw it all in. And it was in the paper last, last week, I think. How fun is that? This is kind of cool, right? Kind of like at campfires with you group, you know, you take all your sins, write them on a paper, right? And you go up and throw it in the fire. You get what I'm saying. It's that kind of a picture. Here's what he's talking about. In the Passover, Corinthians, the fifth chapter, verse 7, get rid of the old leaven so that you may be a new lump. Just as you are, in fact, unleavened for Christ, our Passover also has been sacrificed. No question that's who he was. He was the fulfillment of that prophecy, the fulfillment of that whole story about the escape from Egypt and the Paschal Lamb. In fact, that's the word. Our Pascha has been sacrificed for us. He died for our sins to free us from sin, to get rid of the old leaven. Let me ask you something. If he's for us, can you ask God to help you grow in faith to risk sacrificing maybe? I don't know how it'll happen. I've just seen so little sometimes. To risk opposition if you try to share something or be a witness. Trust him to get victory in your life, perhaps. Power to rise above something that's been dragging you down. You know, is God alive or not? He's the living God. Here's the problem. Is he really for me? That's, what, that's where we get stuck, right? That's where I get stuck. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm the only one in the room that has that problem, who thinks, no, nah, not me, little old me, he forgot me, I'm, I'm lost somewhere. 
woe is me. Right? Yeah. He ran out of chips. He ran out of, you know, ram. God, God ran out of ram. He forgot about you. You're a lost file. Is that it? No. He comes to our aid. If you have your Bible open still to chapter 2, two verses I want you to notice. Verse 16, for assuredly he does not give help to angels, but gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Who are they? Yes, all the believers, whether Jewish or Gentile. That's the descendants of Abraham. He gives help. In fact, the word there is the word to lay hold of. So some translations, your King James and one other have it wrong. It says he laid hold of humanity. They think it's talking about that again. That's not. He lays hold of those he's trying to help. And the word that is used is the same word that uh, describes ropes on a ship that lift up cargo and, and bring support and all of that. He reaches out and grabs a hold of you and lifts. Isn't that cool? And then parallel to that is verse 18. Since he himself was tempted in that he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Anybody ever hear of the preacher Warren Wearsby? Yeah, his, uh, his commentary on this book, Hebrews, is called Be Confident. I don't know where he got that idea, but anyway, Be Confident. What happens when we who have been saved are tempted to sin? He stands ready to help us. He was tempted when he was on earth, but no temptation ever conquered him. Because he has defeated every enemy, he is able to give us the grace that we need to overcome temptation. Sometimes we like to blame him. I know that verse says he won't give me more, but he gave me more. I can't do it. I know that. He's able to give us the grace we need. The word sucker, the word used in verse 18, literally means, get this, to run to the cry of a child. You want to see mama act fast, all you have to do is hear that. This is a serious scream. You know what I mean with grandkids, right? This one's for real. It's not that. It's not that. It's the serious one. To run to the cry of a child means to bring help when it is needed. Angels are able to serve us, Wearsby mentions, but they are not able to succor us in our times of temptation. Only Jesus can do that. And he can do it because he became a man, suffered, died, was tempted, etc., etc. He knows where we're at. He knows where you're at. He knows what you're afraid of. What's intimidating you? Yeah, it's all the time, isn't it? Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Didn't Jesus say that? And I will throw you off the cliff. No, that's not the rest of it. What does it say? I will give you rest. I've had two weeks of some sleepless nights and struggle, and I went to a meeting. I I said, God, I need you to... I didn't use that word, sucker me, but that's what I was saying. And lo and behold, God ministered grace to me, just like I asked. I was like, yeah. And he wants to do that for us. Let me show you two things. Mysterious words. This is an answer to your question, by the way. John chapter 6. Do we have those verses? Or are we? Yay, thank you so much, whoever saved us back there. 
He comes to our aid. Jesus talks about my body and blood. He says, he who eats my flesh, drinks my blood, abides in me. There's the ticket, laddie. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood. He doesn't mean literally. There's nothing morbid or weird about this. Goofy thinking, people making fun or whatever. No, he abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so who eats me shall live because of me. What's he talking about? He's talking about this making use of the means of grace that are available to us. Come and dine. Come and meet with me. How many times have you heard the Spirit saying, you need to get along with God and you don't do it? I've never done that. I'm fibbing, though. I have to confess lying right now. Wait a minute. You get what I'm saying. I remember a great quote from, I think it was J. Oswald Sanders, but I'm not totally sure. In anything resembling a crisis, the man or woman who really knows needs to be alone with God. It's the first place I need to go. I come home, I say, I'm, I'm, I need some time alone. I used to do this at home. I'm doing it again in my grubby, our basement right now is filled with junk. I'm still commandeering it. I used to say to the kids, okay, I own the basement right now. Nobody come down the basement. Because I was down there to pray and hash it out with God. I needed the space. He wants to meet with us. Words are are used in these two verses, to take hold of, to be concerned for, to seize, to catch, to catch, right? To catch. You're falling. He catches you. To give help, to have an interest in, um, to assist, or you could just use the word to rescue. He's alive, and he's in the business of intervening on our behalf now, but you've got to make yourself available to utilize the means of grace. Reach out, cry out. I love some of those songs like the, the revival songs from Belfast. You know, lay your burdens down. Lay your burdens down. He's going to lift you with the rope. Hymns that say, he pulled me from the miry clay. Remember that? So the Lord's table is simply one of the means of grace. He invites us to come and dine. The prayer closet is a means of grace. The gathering of the saints. Boy, I have so much to say about that. It's coming in the book of Hebrews. You may not like me after I talk about it, but the gathering of the saints, how God sees it and how we treat it are two different things. The gathering of the saints can be a means of grace. Imagine for just a minute, you're part of the New Testament Christians. You just got saved. You're on fire. You know, you love the Lord. There's some persecution out there. Those Roman soldiers can't always depend on them. And you get one day a week because some of you are slaves. You don't have any free time at all. The only time you can gather for church is to sneak out at night on your personal time to meet with the gathering. Maybe in Rome you're in the catacombs. No podcasts, no book in your pocket, no Gideon Bible, no TV preachers, no Bible app, no Christian bookstores, no TV preachers, no appeals for money. Yay! I mean, 
Nothing. One shot a week, if you're lucky, maybe two or three hours, and in the center of it is this table, and somehow those people were empowered by the Holy Spirit and changed their culture. I think we have too much, to be frank. It's not helping us. We're much weaker than they were. Maybe there's something to be learned. Come and dine. Anybody ever heard of the group called the Plymouth Brethren? My, one of my heroes, George Mueller of Bristol, who fed hundreds of orphans by faith without ever asking for one penny. Now, that's the way to do fundraising. No ask, just prayer. My God will not let me down. And on the mornings that the kids had nothing to eat, lo and behold, the milk wagon broke down one block away. In comes all the milk. Hey, it's going to go bad. you got to have it. Oh, that's good. That's half of it. What about the rest? Knock on the door. The baker comes in. He's a Christian. He said, God got me up at 3 a.m. to bake bread for your people. Story after story after story after story. If you want to read it, it's called The Narrative of the Lord's Dealings with George Mueller. You can follow it. It's all written down. He was a journaler, better than me. He's got a record of the whole thing. Those Plymouth Brethren, that's where he came from. He was one of them. They believed in the living God. So they would gather together. And they would center on the Lord's table. And here's how the Lord's table went for them. We're not going to try this this morning. It'd be too confusing, okay? Seriously. They would gather in silence, circularly, around the table. Nobody would say anything. They would silently pray. They would wait until the Holy Spirit started to prompt people. And then someone would give an exhortation. Someone would read a scripture. Steve would be sitting there thinking, I'm thinking of this great verse in Romans, but I better not say it. And then someone else stood up and said the exact one because he was not listening to the Spirit. I'm not talking about for real right now, but you know what I mean? You were afraid or timid, and the Holy Spirit spoke from, um, help me out. Huh? Him. Joe. How hard is Joe for crying out loud? I just went... So am I, obviously. I just went blank. Sorry. What's his name again? You get what I'm saying? The Spirit would start speaking and edifying and speaking into people's needs, specific issues. And then the really creepy thing started happening. People would start getting healed, miraculously healed in the gathering around the Lord's table. Do you think God's alive or not? Where's our expectation? Is he for us? He's willing to intervene. He's willing to come to the aid of his children. Jesus, in those meetings, was invited in. And if he's invited in, he's in charge. If we invite him in, he's in charge. That's what we need. We need him to be in charge and see what he does. He says to us, come and dine. Physically sometimes, spiritually, now, later, in various means, take and eat and live. Feed and be filled. That's what he's inviting us to. This is just one means, just one way. 
It is a way that God intended through Jesus to make sure we stay on task on a regular basis. That's why he commanded his disciples to do this. Because left to ourselves, we drift. We lose track of it. We forget his goodness. We forget that he's for us. We forget that he's intervening on our behalf if we'll let him. And sometimes when we're crabby, I find myself rebuked later because I find out, oh, man, you were watching out for me way more than I thought. And here I was whining about this, and that could have happened. And we don't even realize how much he's protected us. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to take two minutes silently to worship God, to thank him, to risk maybe saying, I want to learn something about trusting you. Maybe sacrifice? Can I just say, when, it, when you do it under the leading of the Spirit, it's just downright fun. I don't know how else to put it. Let's be quiet before God. Then we're going to worship and gather around the table. We'll be done early so we can go through our business meeting, which I hope God will be with us in that too, right? Yeah. Help us, Lord. Help us now in Jesus' name.